Welcome to the podcast of Vertical Life Church. We hope and pray these messages encourage and challenge you to find your glorious purpose in Christ Jesus. For more information, visit us on the web at www.vlchurch.tv. Amen. Thank you, Chris. You feeling it? Yes. God is so good. My name is Pastor Joey. For those of you new, I see some new faces. We want to say welcome to Vertical Life Church. Uh, We meet here every Sunday morning, and we have a philosophy here at Vertical Life Church. We believe everyone matters to God. You matter. Your story matters. You are not an accident. God intended for you to happen, and God intended for you to be here today. And our prayer is, is that you encounter the love and presence of the Lord in this place. That's our heart each and every week. We are we're not perfect people, but we serve a perfect Lord. And He is worth celebrating each and every week, each and every day. And today we celebrate the most significant day that has ever happened in human history, the day Jesus rose from the dead. You see, if He had just died on the cross, that would have been a tragedy. But because He rose, it's now a triumph. It's now a day of victory, a day of celebration. And so we celebrate that because salvation is possible. Life with God is possible. And to kick off this celebration, beginning tomorrow, we are entering into, as a church family, the second quarter fast. We started this at the beginning of the year, just feeling as we're coming out of the 2020 with all the amazing things of 2020. Did you guys have a great 2020? Wasn't 2020 awesome? You know? Depending on how you look at it, 2020 was pretty interesting, but we just felt from the Lord that God had some plans that he wanted to do this year, and so we wanted to be in alignment with that. We wanted to be in alignment with his purpose and his plan for us as a church and as a body of Christ, and so we uh, are following the Lord's leading and doing three fasts uh, for the first three quarters of the year. We did one uh, at the beginning of the year. Tomorrow kicks off the second fast, and all fasting is is removing something that dominates your time, energy, uh, your, your mind, what, what you depend on, so that you can find your dependence and your fulfillment and satisfaction in God. It's not fasting. You don't fast to get things from God. You fast to align yourselves to God so that he can then bless your life. God already wants to bless you, but often the things that we choose, our mindsets get in the way of that, And so fasting allows us to realign ourselves so that we can be in the place where we can be blessed. And we definitely are praying for some things this year in 2021. We're praying for 21 new families to come join our church and to be a part of the exciting things God is doing here. And for those of you who are new, you need to know you're part of that prayer. We've been praying for you. You know, going into this year that God would send uh, new people. They, They would come and join us. So you're an answer to prayer for us today. The second thing we've been praying for is a fully funded building program. We purchased some property last year, and uh, we want to put a building on that property so that we don't have to keep setting up and tearing down every week and, uh, and carry on in what we feel like God is calling us to do. And so we're praying for a fully funded building project. And you'll see what we've raised so far in the worship guide if you receive that on your way in. And then also we're praying for new leaders, more leaders to come and join us because there, there is more to do than can be done with just a handful of people. So we're, we're praying for those things, and we know God is faithful, and he's answering every one of those prayers. And uh, Jesus, who is the hope of glory, 
he is worth setting ourselves apart, consecrating ourselves uh, so that we can dedicate our lives more fully to him. And I believe that, that the gospel we're going to talk about today is the gospel of Jesus Christ. That word gospel means good news. The gospel of Jesus Christ is the power of God unleashed in the hearts of those who believe. Anytime the gospel is preached and a person receives the gospel, receives that good news, hears it and believes, it allows God's power to work in their hearts and lives. And this is what we're highlighting today. And I'm going to begin reading out of 1 Corinthians chapter 15. This is from the Apostle Paul, and here's what Paul says. He says, Let me remind you, dear brothers and sisters, of the good news I preached to you before. You welcomed it then, and you still stand firm in it. It is the good news that saves you if you continue to believe the message I told you. Unless, of course, you believe something that was never true in the first place. So I love how honest the Bible is. It says, if this isn't true, none of this matters. But if it is true, it's all that matters. That's the world we live in. If this isn't true, none of this matters. But if it is true, it's all that matters. And he says, I passed on to you what was the most important and what's been passed on to me, that Christ died for our sins, just as the scripture said. He was buried and raised from the dead on the third day, just as the scripture said. He was seen by Peter, then by the twelve. After that, he was seen by more than 500 of his followers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have died. And then he was seen by James, and later by all the apostles. Last of all, as though I had been born at the wrong time, I also saw him. For I am the least of all the apostles. In fact, I'm not even worthy to be called an apostle after the way I persecuted God's church. Heavenly Father, we gather in your name today, in the name which is above every name, the name that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess in the last day that he is Lord. We gather in the name of Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the Son of God. And God, I ask you to speak now, Lord. What I have to say is of no use if it is not your word. So God, you speak. You have our attention. God, we open our hearts and minds to you. Lord, I pray, just as Paul even introduced in the gospel message, I pray for the skeptic and the doubter today. God, you perform signs, wonders, and miracles to confirm what you've spoken. And so God, I pray that even the skeptic today would walk away and say, God is truly among them. God is truly in that place. I pray, God, that your word would be released, that it would not return void as you have proclaimed. It would do the very thing that you've spoken. God, you draw us into your very heart, that we would know how deeply we are loved by you. And I pray, Jesus, that you're glorified in us today. It's in your name we pray. And all God's people said, Amen. Paul the Apostle. Paul... His name used to be Saul. What you need to know about Saul is that Saul was a persecutor of the Christian church. He persecuted Christians. He was even sanctioned by the Jewish leaders of his time to hunt down Christians, throw them in prison, and he presided over their executions. This Saul guy was not a nice guy. Think about the day that we live in today, what it would take for an Islamic terrorist who is against Christians and Jews and, and really anyone that's not Islamic, in their nation where they regularly put people to death because they don't align to their laws. Imagine what it would take for someone like that 
in their native country to forsake their religion and become a Christian. Think about what it would take for a Nazi in the middle of World War II as they are eliminating Jews in a concentration camp to then suddenly turn and say, no, I want to be Jewish in the midst of German country. Logically, our minds cannot comprehend what would cause something like that to happen. It's insanity. Matter of fact, we'd probably say it'd be near impossible. But yet this is Paul's story. He was a terrorist. He was the Nazi of his day against the Christian, uh, the Christian faith. Paul's story is one that, that is in- incredible to think about because he has one encounter on the way to do the very thing he was determined to do, which was hunt Christians down and kill them. And he has one encounter that transforms his life. And he goes from being the greatest murderer of Christians to the greatest missionary of the Christian faith in a single day, in a single moment. Paul gives up his life's ambition to be something altogether new. The only explanation for that is a miraculous encounter with the risen Lord. That's it. There's nothing else that can, that, that, that can answer that question. And you ask, well, why is that? Well, think about it. He did not become a Christian to make a bunch of money. Matter of fact, he was wealthy as a Pharisee. He became a pauper as a Christian. He did not become famous and well-respected in the community that he was in. Matter of fact, he was persecuted. Paul was nearly killed multiple times. He was beaten. He was tortured. He was thrown into prison, falsely accused. He was shipwrecked. He was rejected everywhere he went, even by his own people, for this one name, the name of Jesus. Tell me how a person does that, unless Jesus be not raised from the dead. You just don't do that. You wouldn't do that in your own life. You wouldn't, you wouldn't choose that kind of life for a lie. You wouldn't do that. He encountered something very real. And Paul's conversion stands as one of the many irrefutable proofs that Jesus not only died, but he rose again, that he was who he said he was, the son of the most high God. Which is why many, because they can't argue against Paul's experience, try to argue against Paul's existence. Say, we can't argue against his existence, so we'll just say he never existed, and we'll get around it. But this is so significant. And you know, the same thing that happened in Paul's life is offered to all who had placed their faith and trust in Jesus. That they could too have a life-changing encounter with the risen Lord. And a question we often have to ask, and many will ask this question, why did Jesus have to die? Like, why is this even a thing? Why are we having to, you know, go through these uh, holidays each and every year? You know, the fact of the matter is, is God's really not interested in holidays, but he is interested in your heart. He's not interested in holidays. He is interested in your heart. So why do we go through the trouble of celebrating? What, why did he have to come and die in the first place? You know, this week, our family, we went down to Kentucky to the Ark Encounter in the Creation Museum. Has anybody been down there before? I mean, it's awesome. 
when you drive up to the ARC encounter, you have to take a, a bus to get there. To, they drive you up, and I think it's on purpose because as you're going down this road, you open up to see how large and massive the ARC actually is, and it will blow your mind. You're like, oh my gosh, I never thought it was that big. It is absolutely huge. But what I liked about uh, the Creation Museum and the Ark Encounters, they walk you through the whole story of the Bible from creation all the way through the cross and redemption and relate it how it all pl um, plays in together. And really the theme behind the creation story in the beginning in Genesis chapter 1 is that God creates a perfect world. You know, often people will say, well, if God is so loving, why does evil exist? Or if God is, is so good, why is there pain in the world? Well, the reality is, is God created a perfect world. He created it in reflection of who he is, all good and completely perfect. He created it without flaw. And I loved, as we were looking at this story, at this museum, we, we went to this 4D movie. Um, it's not just a 3D experience, but 4D, they actually, your seats rumble, and you know, it's kind of interactive, and it was kind of cool as... We were going through creation. It was going through day one and day two and day three. And, and as it was beginning to be cinematic and, and all these special effects, all of a sudden you'd have this quick, powerful blast of air just smack you in the face. Kind of felt like God was sneezing on me. It was, it was like awesome, but, you know, kind of uncomfortable at the same time. But it was like, it was like oh, do it again, do it again, you know. It was, so, was kind of cool. But it was going through the, the morphing of each day, these different sequences, and God created this world perfectly. Everything in it was good. There was no pain or suffering, no evil, no sickness, no disease, no dysfunctions whatsoever. All of heaven and earth as, as it should be in complete shalom, peace. Peace we can't even understand. But one of God's angelic creations became jealous of God himself. He wanted to be worshipped like God. And so sin rose up in his heart and he came to the earth. He took on the form of a serpent and he... He deceptively convinced the man and the woman, the image bearers of God, the one who God said, you're in charge of the whole earth. You, you manage it. I, I've created it, but I'm giving you authority over it. You manage it, and it will flourish under your management. And so the devil came and deceived the man and the woman, got them to rebel against God. And in that moment, the sin that was in the heart of the devil rose up in the heart of man, and it was born into the world. And so we go from perfect creation to now corruption. The world is no longer as God created it. It's a fractured representation of what God created. And this is the state that the whole world is in, even that we experience it today. Sin touches everything. Just look at the headlines in the news. Pandemics, disease, Wars, rumors of wars, economic turmoil, mass shootings, depression and anxiety, disorders on the rise, sexual confusion, the distortion of the ability to cope with reality. So many different dysfunctions are now prime and center. There's racism, hatred, political and cultural wars, division, fighting, riots, and chaos. And if you think of all the advancements in technology, philosophy, science, everything that we've learned to this point, it's not getting better and better and better. It's getting worse and worse and worse. I mean, this week I, I, I heard that, you know, segregation we've always believed was a bad thing, but now uh, 
college institutions, higher level learning centers are now having different graduation ceremonies so that you can identify with that whatever group you want to be a part of. So the blacks get their own, the whites get their own, the LGBTQ get their own, and they're segregating people all in the name of racial harmony. It's confusion. Literally in Canada right now, there's a man facing charges for refusing to remain silent about an order the court le levied against him. He wasn't allowed to talk about the fact they were forcing him to put his 15-year-old daughter through gender transition therapy and ordered him that he must call her by her chosen name, refused to call her by the pronouns associated with her birth gender, and because he wouldn't keep silent about that, they threw him in prison. Because now we're policing thoughts and beliefs. And the way America seems to be trending, calling any opposing speech as that's culturally accepted as hate speech, we're now on the brink of that thought police style tactics in our nation as well. The only moral standing we're holding to today is the fact that there is no moral standing. There's no definitive right or wrong, good or evil. What, what is the goal is well-being, and the well-being is determined by each individual in the micro and macro sense. Ken Ham, the guy who instituted or, or founded the Creation Museum and the Ark Encounter, and he pointed this out in Judges 17.6. It says, in a time in the nation of Israel, they, they came out of Egypt, they formed their new land, God was living among them. They get to this place in their culture, in their time, it says, in those days, Israel had no king, not even God. And all the people did what? They did whatever was right in their own eyes. They did whatever they thought, whatever they felt was good. They, they didn't respect the word of God. They had no king that, that trumped them, no authority that was above their own opinion. And so everyone just did whatever they thought, however they felt. There was no standard to govern the nation. Each one governed themselves, and the result was chaos in the nation. Idolatry, war, famine, and the like. And what do we see in our own nation as we have removed God? We see the influence of Judeo-Christian values, the very same values that gave us the Constitution, that gave us the Bill of Rights, the freedom to the slaves, women's rights, and the like. We see a removal of those things and a move towards more cultural and moral relativism. Everyone doing what's right in their own eyes. Everyone gets to define their own reality. No more unity, but greater and greater diversity and division. More hate, more chaos in the camp. Why? It's because man is incapable of bringing itself into peace on our own. Because of the corruption that's filled the earth through the sin we brought into the world, we're incapable of returning us back to the state that we fell from, that we lost when we rebelled against God. So even the best of us, even the, the best among us, the people we would point to to say, man, that is a model citizen, that is a model person, that person should be respected. Even the best of us still wrestle with sin. Romans chapter 3, 23, Paul, he says, for all have sinned, Say this with me. For all have sinned and have fallen short of God's glorious standard. What's God's standard? It is absolute holiness and perfection. No flaw. And because of sin, every one of us falls short of that standard, no matter how great we think or how others think we are. There's a false belief about pastors and ministers. It's you know, kind of funny to me in a, in a, in a sense, but I have conversations with people 
And you either have really one or two perspectives when it comes to pastors. One, if you're outside the church and you're not really into religion, you think all pastors are out for money, you know, like the guys on television, like, you know, send in your $5,000 offering and we'll send you a prayer rug and you'll get your prayers answered and all, all these things. You think they're money hungry. Just so you know, there's not a lot of money in ministry. I'm just telling you. You know, ask Paul. He'll, he'll agree with me. But then the other perspective is you think pastors or ministers have arrived to some spiritual level that you can't arrive to, that there's some kind of level of maturity or spirituality or perfection that, that they're separate from you and you could never be like them. Let me be completely transparent and honest. I am well aware of the darkness in my own heart, my flaws. And where I'm not aware, my wife is keenly aware and she lets me know about it. There is no one who exempt from sin. You look at major leaders in the church, people that were well-respected like Carl Lentz or Ravi Zacharias, and, and things you know, went south in their lives. There is no one on the planet that's exempt from this struggle we have with sin. In Jeremiah 17, 9, it says, The human heart is the most deceitful of all things, desperately wicked. Who really knows how bad it is? The human heart... Well, what drives our thoughts, our feelings, our motives, it is the most deceitful of all things. Why does the Word of God say our hearts are the most deceitful? It's because we will lie to ourselves about how bad we are so that we don't have to believe we're as bad as we really are. Right? Just ask the average person. If you walk down the street and you ask the person, you know, you know are you, would you get into heaven? Even if they have no religious background. Like, if there is a heaven, do you think you would go there? And they would say yes. And you'd say, well, why do you think that? They'll say, well, because I'm a good person. There's not a person on the planet that doesn't think they're a good person. I honestly think Hitler thought he was a good person. We are deceived. Our hearts deceive us. You know, even if someone is, isn't really as bad of a person as someone like, like Hitler, we would look at somebody like that. The reason why we're self-deceived is because we use other people's sins to judge how good we are. Like, to, to give myself an assessment, I'm not going to look at me. I'm going to look at you. And I'm going to say, well, compared to them, I stack up pretty good. Here's the deception. While I'm looking at you, somebody else is looking at me. And using my sin to judge on how good they are. We all struggle with sin. And the result of sin is death. Romans 6.23 says the wages of sin is death. Wages are what you earn. If you go to a job, you work the 9 to 5. On Friday, you expect to hit your bank account a paycheck. Those are your wages. This is what you earn because of sin. Well, because of the sinfulness of our hearts. What we earn is death. Not just physical death, but death in all areas of life. Emotional death. That's why we have anxiety and depressive disorders and all these breakdowns in our, in our psyche is because of the curse of death. And not just physical and emotional death, emotional pains and wounds, but also spiritual death. When we die, this is not all there is. There's a, there, there's a series on Netflix I heard about this week that's uh, all about investigating near-death experiences. If you've not looked into near-death experiences, it will blow your mind. 
because it is the same experience for people disconnected all over the world that, are, that scientists can't explain. How did they, when they were medically dead, they've been pronounced dead, they've been given, given a death notice, how are they able to then recite what conversations are happening in the room and talk about things and what people were eating and what instruments were being used that they should have no idea about? It's because the soul lives on even after the body dies. It's, it's crazy what, what we're able to discern and the things that science is actually revealing about the soul in our eternal state even today. But when a person is on their deathbed, if you think about a situation where somebody is sick, when a person is on their deathbed, they're not there completely alive and healthy, right? They're not sitting up, joking around, you know, playing cards, just, just waiting to go, right? They're, they're messed up. They're on their deathbed. You wouldn't expect to walk into a room in a convalescent center. Someone is getting ready to die and see them, you know, cleaning the room and, you know, dusting and making their bed, just make sure it all looks nice and neat for their last moment. You would expect to see something completely different. You see, a person who tragically dies, even for something that seems out of nowhere, there have been people that have, that have seemed to be completely healthy and then just dropped dead, either because of an aneurysm or other type of uh, issue, there is usually a root cause that is the cause of death. People don't just drop dead. There's a root cause, and that cause, if not known ahead of time, usually operates uh, undercover until the point where the body can't fight the root cause any longer and has to give up and shut down. There are always symptoms that lead toward the death, symptoms that kill the body rather than heal the body. Symptoms that the body has no ability to heal itself. And the same is true for our spiritual lives because sin, the brokenness in our heart, sin breeds death, physical, emotional, and spiritual death. And the symptoms of sin we experience all throughout the world, they rob us of the peace, the joy, and the fulfillment that God intended for us to experience when he created the world the very life that God wanted for us as his children. And really spiritual death, the death after physical death, it is the separation of everything good that God is. Because God cannot dwell in the presence of sin. He is completely righteous and holy and perfect. So not only do we have to deal with physical death and the effects of death in this life, but even after this life, if this symptom, this root cause isn't, solved isn't cured we then go on to have consequences in eternity an eternal life void of anything good that god provides because death is what separates us from god and sin is the root cause of death the wages of sin is death sin has corrupted everything and everything is headed toward death even this world the second law of thermodynamics is the law of entropy everything is breaking down heading towards chaos. Nothing is being built and flourishing better and better. Everything is heading towards a state of chaos. Death is what separates us from God. Sin is the root cause and is causing corruption and everything, even in the known universe. And beloved, this is why Jesus had to come. This is it. This is the whole reason. Because what we created with sin we have no power to control. We are powerless to stop it. It's a runaway train. 
and we're all tainted by its effects. And so death continues to claim its victims. Jesus came into the world, Paul in 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, For God made Christ, who never sinned, to be the offering for our sin, so that we could be made right with God through Christ. The reason why Jesus came, the whole point, is so that he could come and put an end to the power over us that we couldn't free uh, ourselves from in the first place. He came into the world unstained by sin. He was born of the Virgin Mary, lived 33 years, a sinless life. He had a death that uh, lived a life that death had no right to claim. Death could not touch him. Death had no right to his life because there was no sin in him, which is why Jesus says in John 10, verse 18, no one can take my life from me. There was no claim sin had to the life of Christ. He says, no one can take my life from me. So what does he do? I sacrifice it voluntarily. No one can take my life, and so I'm going to freely give it. I have the authority to lay it down when I want to and take it up again also. Imagine how brassy Jesus is. Think about it. Nobody can touch me because the authority is mine. I can lay it down if I want to, and when I'm ready, I can get back up. And so he did. He willingly gave his life to be the once and for all sacrifice. The one who had no sin gave his life selflessly to break the power of sin over those who were helpless to help themselves. Those who were trapped under the power of sin and death could be set free to live an abundant life amid the corruption and spend eternity immersed in the love of God forever and ever and ever in the next life. You see, in Romans 6.23, it doesn't just say the wages of sin is death. It also says the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. It's not all bad news, beloved. It's good news. It's good news. Jesus in John 10.10 says the thief's purpose is to steal, kill, and destroy, but my purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life. That's good. And it's not a rich and satisfying life according to how the world thinks. The world's corrupted by sin. They think selfishly and self-righteously. But it's a rich and satisfying life according to how God designed us to be in the first place before sin ever touched the earth, before it ever touched the world, where we loved God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength and loved our neighbor the way we love ourselves. It's the only way to bring about true shalom, true, pure, perfect peace. And what I think throws many people off and what causes many people to dismiss Christians even coming to church, and maybe it's where you're at today, it's the fact that their believers are still imperfect. There, there are many people that look at the church and say, I want nothing to do with the church. The church is just full of hypocrites. They're not perfect as they project. And if I'm honest, I'd say some Christians are just flat out rude. Just being honest. I think it was Gandhi that said, I love your Jesus, I just can't stand your Christians. You know, we ought to be the most loving people in all the world. But often we're the most judgmental. Contrary to popular belief in the church, there are a lot of Karens in the church. 
You know, I want to publicly apologize if there are any Karens in the room here today or those that might be watching online. You did not choose your name. You did not choose it to be a derogatory term. You know, but uh, at least maybe you could empathize with the Felicias because they've had it really bad for a while. Maybe we could start a support group. That's like what we do at church. You know, there's an issue. We create a support group. So we'll have a Karen and Felicia support group, you know. But seriously, we need to not take ourselves so seriously. But honestly, the culture has been doing the same thing to Karen that they've been doing to Jesus for thousands of years. Beloved, in this day and age, Jesus' name is used more as a cuss word than it is as an act of worship. You know, something a Christian Karen might say, and have you ever heard someone in a, like when they're arguing with someone who's not a, uh, not a Christian, they're arguing over morality, or, or, you know, maybe you're just with one of those Christian Karens that are really high strung. You've met some of those. You know, they got 15 Jesus bracelets on, and, you know, the, they always have something to say about how you're not doing something right. And, uh, but uh, they get into an argument, or they see somebody acting foolish, and what do they say? They'll say, you need Jesus. Like, y'all need Jesus, right? That's something like a Christian Karen might say. Now, the thing is, is do they need Jesus? Absolutely. But just because you get Jesus does not make your life perfect. That's where grace and compassion comes in. You're not exempt from problems, nor are you free from the enticements of temptation and the weakness to your flesh. This very same flesh that's under the curse of sin is still the flesh that you operate in every day. We need Jesus because we can't become perfect on our own. If we could, we wouldn't need Jesus. So many of us need to stop pretending like we can be. Quit being a Christian Karen and be a compassionate Christian. But what we've done, what we've done to the world <clears throat> is we have projected like we are perfect, and so now many people look at Christians as if they're supposed to be like some superior type of a person, some perfect person other than just an average, ordinary human. And so when you become a Karen in a, in a grocery store line, people are like, well, if that's the kind of you know, person that Christians are, I want nothing to do with that. If that's the kind of people that go to that church, then they're just full of hypocrites. And the church has some hypocrites in it, I'm sure. But, beloved, the church is not full of hypocrites. The church is full of people who are on their deathbed who are now in recovery. The wages of sin is death. We all live like dead men. So think about it after a tragic accident. You don't just spring up and go about life as normal right away unless, of course, you have a miraculous encounter with God. I've seen God heal heal some pretty amazing things, but in a tragic accident or a debilitating illness, you don't just get up and just go about life as normal. Even after the crisis is over, there's still a period of time of recovery and physical therapy to help you get back to full health, and the same is true for people spiritually. In John chapter 11, we're told of a story of a man named Lazarus, a friend of Jesus, who was very ill, and he died. Jesus goes to his home uh, to his friend's home, and his sister comes out to greet him, a little upset that Je Jesus didn't come sooner. She's like, if you had gotten here sooner, then you could have healed him, and he wouldn't have died, but Jesus delayed, and his friend died, so she's a little upset. But in this passage, in this verse, and 
It has the shortest verse in all the Bible, John 11:35, where it says Jesus wept. It shows how Jesus, even in the midst of our greatest difficulties, circumstances, and struggles, that he empathizes with us. He's connected to what we're going through. Our God is emotionally connected to every aspect of our lives. He's connected to this situation, and it especially reveals how deeply God feels about the, the results or the consequences of sin in the world, that now we have to experience death in all of its forms. He knows our pain. He knows what we go through. He knows that we were never supposed to experience or deal with any of these things to begin with, but it's the consequences of choosing to rebel against him, to choose sin that opens the door to death in our lives. What I want you to see is the conversation here with Jesus that Lazarus' sister has, and we're going to see a couple of, I think, really profound things. In John chapter 11, 17 through 27, it says, When Jesus arrived at Bethany, he was told that Lazarus had already been in his grave for four days. Bethany was only a few miles down the road from Jerusalem. Many of the people had come to console Martha and Mary in their loss. When Martha got the word that Jesus was coming, she went to meet him. Mary stayed in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you'd only been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know God will give you whatever you ask. And Jesus told her, your brother will rise again. Yes, Martha said, he will rise when everyone else rises at the last day. And Jesus told her, I am the resurrection and the life. Anyone who believes in me will live even after dying. Everyone who lives in me and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this, Martha? Yes, Lord, she told him. I've always believed you are the Messiah, the Son of God, the one who has come into the world from God. So here Jesus is having this conversation with Martha, and he says, if you believe, you'll never die. Yet here Lazarus is dead, and I'm sure his good friend believed in him. So what's he talking about? Because obviously well, what he's saying is kind of con being contradicted in this story. And what he's speaking about, he wasn't speaking about physical death because until all things are made new in the last day, we will all continue to deal with physical death because all physical matter, including our bodies, are corrupted by sin. We've been decaying since the moment we were born. The old must die, the young may die. No one is guaranteed any length of time on the earth. We're all under this curse that is permeating the world because of sin's existence in it. Death is coming for us all. He wasn't talking about physical death, but he was talking about spiritual death. That even after physical death, we can live on as we were always meant to be. Full of life for all eternity. And John eleven twenty five 25 says, Jesus told her, I am the resurrection and the life. Anyone who believes in me will live even after dying. Right now, we wrestle with death in all areas of life. But what is so powerful, right here in this moment, after making this statement, is he then demonstrates how your spiritual state affects your physical state. Though we will die physically, if we believe, we will live spiritually. And if we live spiritually one day, we will live again physically. Anyone who dies apart from Jesus will remain dead, but those who believe in Jesus will be raised again. In Romans 8, chapter, or chapter 8, verse 11, it says, The Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you, and just as God raised Jesus Christ from the dead, he'll give life to your mortal bodies 
by the same Spirit living within you. There is coming a day when Jesus is going to return to this earth, and when he does, an announcement's going to be given. The graves of the earth are going to bust open, and the dead in Christ are going to rise to live forevermore. There is a day. This is our blessed hope, the time that Jesus Christ returns. And in this moment, as he's having this conversation, in the view of all these people who are weeping for this man, Lazarus, and Verse 39 of John chapter 11, Jesus says, Roll the stone aside. But Martha, the dead man's sister, protested, Lord, he's been dead for four days. The smell will be terrible. And Jesus responded, Didn't I tell you that you would see God's glory if you believe? Don't worry about your circumstance or what's going on in your life. Didn't you hear me when I said, If you believe, you're going to see God's glory? She was caught between believing God's word and and struggling with her reality. But here Jesus is inviting her into something greater, something bigger than what she could imagine. Martha, didn't I tell you, you would see God's glory if you believed. Beloved, faith is a choice. You have to choose to believe. You don't get born into faith. You don't get born into salvation. You don't get to inherit it from your family. You have to make a personal decision. Am I going to trust What Jesus said, if I'm going to believe in who he said he was and what he did, or am I going to continue to try to reconcile things with my own wisdom and in my own strength? You have to choose. Faith unlocks the door to a true spiritual experience with Jesus. In verse 41, it says, They rolled the stone aside, and then Jesus looked up to heaven and said, Father, thank you for hearing me. You always hear me but I said it out loud for the sake of these people standing here so they will believe you sent me. You see, what he's about to do wasn't for him. It wasn't even for Lazarus. It was for those who were all standing by. Beloved, it was for you and me today. For all who hear about this moment, that we would choose to believe, and by believing, we would experience the same life spiritually Lazarus was already experiencing with God on the other side. And right now we get a glimpse through Lazarus' life what they could experience in the future if they believed a truly resurrected life. It says, then Jesus shouted, Lazarus, come out. Get out of that grave. And the dead man came out and his hands And feet were bound in grave clothes, his face wrapped in a headcloth, and Jesus told them, unwrap him and let him go. What a moment. Could you imagine? Not being at a friend's funeral, the next day he died, but half a week later. You're at the funeral. The casket's closed. And somebody walks in and says, Hey, Bubba, get on up. And then the door goes, and the guy sits up. I'd be going. I'm like, out, I'm out. Peace. Right? But this is what's happening. Can you imagine? Jaws hitting the floor. What happened? Who is this man? What a moment. Jesus raises this man to life who had been dead for four days. His body already decaying. The stink was already on this man. 
It's not only is this a powerful sign to those standing here, but it illustrates to us, though we struggle under the curse of death every day, we have corrupted bodies, we have corrupted minds, we live in this broken world, the stink of sin is on us all. Through Jesus, we can truly begin to live. Adam and Eve died spiritually when they rebelled. And because they died spiritually, they then died physically. That's why we must be born again spiritually before we could ever truly live physically. Your spiritual life impacts your physical life. If you have not received Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you've not placed your faith and trust in Him, the Bible says you're spiritually dead, and your life will forever be mastered by sin and death in this life and in the next. But if you're spiritually alive, you can begin to walk now in the true abundant life that Jesus came to give you. See, God sent Jesus so that through Jesus, He could get us all out of the graves we've been lying in. To break free from the power that death has had over our lives, over our peace, over our joy, over our hope, over our future. God has before ordained plans and purposes for each one of us. And this sin, this curse, the, the enemy that's been fighting against us is standing in the way of us finding our full purpose, our true fulfillment in Christ, what he's purposed for us long ago. But see, what happens when you receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior, when you place your faith and trust in Him, again, you have to make the choice. No one can do it for you. It is a personal decision. The first thing that happens is what Jesus said to Martha. The glory of God is revealed in how the Spirit of God resurrects your dead spirit to life. You will have an encounter with the presence of God. You will have something you cannot deny. It's a change you definitely experience when you encounter God your spiritual life will come to life and you'll be altogether new. The Bible says you'll become a new creation. Old things are past, all things have become new. That's the first thing. The glory of God will be revealed, but the call of God for all of us is the same call Jesus gave to Lazarus to get up out of the grave. Come and experience true life. And Lazarus got up, but watch what happens here. Lazarus comes out of the grave what, what's, what's wrong with him? He's still bound by his grave clothes. He's still bound. He was still bound by the clothes and the bindings that bore the remnants of his death. He was still in his grave clothes. He was alive. He was resurrected, but he was still bound. He was still smelly, and he was still bound in his grave clothes. He had to be loosed from his grave clothes in order to return to the land of the living, to live as God intended for him to live. The deal with many Christians today that turns off so many people from the faith is many have been resurrected, but many have not yet left the tomb. They're still living like dead men. And they identify more with the dead than they do the living. So their lives don't reflect the life God has chosen for them, and no one can see anything in their lives that's convincing enough to say, Jesus has something better for me in my life than what I can acquire my own self. And for many others, and I would say the majority of believers here today, including myself where we live, is we're out of the grave. We've been resurrected. We've come out of the tomb. We've come out of the grave, but we're still in bondage to our grave clothes. 
there's still a remnant of that curse of death upon us. You see, pain leaves scars. Relationships leave emotional wounds. Bad habits are hard to break. Mindsets have to be renewed. Paul in Romans 12, 2 said, don't be conformed to the behaviors and customs of the world. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. There's a renewing, there's a transformation that needs to take place. Why? It's because people who used to be dead need to be taught how to live. That's the nature of discipleship. When Jesus says, come follow me, that's what he's inviting you into, to learn how to stop living like a dead man and start learning how to live the abundant life. Following Jesus is learning how to live. We don't become perfect the moment we trust in Jesus. All of life's troubles aren't magically fixed. It's not a crutch, a quick fix, a pill. It's not a magic wand. There is therapy of the soul that needs to take place, spiritual therapy. Theologians call this sanctification. It's the process by bringing your life into agreement with God's plan and purpose for your life. The process by which we become more alive in Jesus Christ each and every day. If Jesus Christ is the great physician, the great healer, then the Spirit of God is our spiritual therapist who leads us every day into the plans and purposes of the Lord. And I'm not talking about getting religion. Religion tries to shortchange the process of sanctification. It tries to give you a list of things that you can do in your own strength and your own power to make you feel good about yourself. That's not what we're talking about. It's a sidestep to the work of the Holy Spirit. And it makes you miss the grace that God has for you, even in your brokenness as you're buried under guilt and shame. I was buried, even as a Christian, under guilt and shame for so many years because I never thought I could be good enough for God to love me. But beloved, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. There is no guilt or condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus because all things are past and become all things have become new. There is nothing that the enemy has against you that can stand to rob you of the love that you have in Christ Jesus. You are already loved. You are already loved. You are already accepted. The problem we struggle with is believing it. And recognizing this great God of ours did all of this so that he could have my heart. It's not about religion, beloved. It's about a relationship with God as you follow Jesus through the leading of the Holy Spirit. And that allows the healing work of Christ's life to begin in you, to help you begin to unravel what's been holding you in bondage. That, that word that was spoken over your life when you were a kid, you've not been able to shake. That betrayal, that failure, that mistake, that tragedy, that loss, all the things death has been trying to sow, the power of the gospel and the love of Christ is that he will begin, when you receive him as your Savior, he'll begin to peel off those grave clothes. And you know what you see underneath the grave clothes? You see fresh skin. You see a new heart. You see a new mind. A new hope and a new life. 
See, the Christian life is not a religious life. It's a life lived in relationship with God. Think of Paul. We talked about him in the beginning. Think about Paul. His life didn't become easier. It got worse. Jesus said, the way to salvation is narrow and few find it. The way to damnation is wide and many travel there. It's not the easy road. It's not a life that says, I'm going to get religion and then everything will be great. No, Jesus said, in this life, you'll have many trials and troubles. John 16, said, I've told you all this, that you might find your peace in me. Here on earth, you'll have many trials and sorrows. Why? Because of the corruption in the earth. Because of the sin that still permeates the hearts and minds of people, the, the evil that exists, there will be trouble and there will be sorrow. We can't shake it. We can't avoid it. We can't get around it. But here's what he says. He says, but take heart. I have overcome the world. Find your peace in me. When it hurts, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. When you don't know what your purpose is, come to me and you'll find your purpose because I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. They're for good and not disaster to give you a future and a hope. When you're broken on the floor and you're weeping because you didn't see this moment coming, God says, I am near to the brokenhearted. I am a father to the fatherless. I am a husband to the widow. I am in the midst. I catch your tears in my bottle. I know the number of hairs that you have on your head. I love you more than the beasts of the field. I'll clothe you greater than the lilies of the valley. There is nothing beyond my attention that I have with my gaze focused on you. I am in it with you. I'm going to walk you through it even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. I will fear no evil, for he is with me. And the one who is with me has promised he will never leave me or forsake me. You know what that means? He will never think badly of you, and he will never abandon you. What kind of a relationship do you have like that in your life? Now, that's a relationship we all need. It's, that's the safe place. That's why the psalm says, God, you are my refuge. You're my place of safety in times of trouble. Why should I be afraid? You're my strong tower. It's because God is your place of refuge. You know, death doesn't like to lose its victims. But we don't have to be afraid when death tries to bring struggle, struggle to your door. Because Jesus has overcome death. And he's offered each of us to have eternal life when we decide to believe in him. Let's bow our heads and let's close our eyes as we go into a time of prayer. Maybe you're here today and you've, you feel something. I know you do because the gospel is powerful. The spirit's moving. You don't know what to make of it. Let me just tell you right now, that is the spirit of God speaking to your heart. God is drawing you to himself, but he can't force you. You have to choose. But by my own testimony, I'm going to tell you, when you surrender, when you surrender to the Lord, when you place your faith in Jesus, it is always worth it. He's going to transform your life. He's not going to make your life perfect. It won't be easy. But it will be good. And if you're here today and you've never accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, 
I'm going to invite you right where you are to receive him today by praying a simple prayer. The Bible says in Romans 10, it says, if you confess Jesus as your Lord and you believe in your heart God's raised him from the dead, you will be saved. It is with the mouth that confession is made and it is with the heart that you believe into salvation. So two things have to happen. One, you have to mean what you say. And two, you have to confess it with your mouth. You have to say it out loud. And so I'm going to lead you in a prayer. It's not magic. It's not an incantation. I probably won't even remember what I'm about to say when I leave this place. But if you mean these words from your heart, I promise you, you're going to have an encounter with the Spirit of God this morning. And your life will never be the same. So if you need to receive Jesus right now where you are, I just want you to pray. It can even be softly right where you are and just say, Father, thank you for your love and for sending Jesus to be my sacrifice. I trust in him today. And I ask you to forgive me of my sins. Today, I'm trusting in Jesus as my Messiah, my Savior. Lord, you have my heart now and forever. In Jesus' name. With every head bowed, every eye closed, no one looking around, I'm not going to call you out. I just want to encourage you with a prayer. If you prayed that today for the first time, you received Jesus as your Savior, I just want to pray a blessing over you. Would you just slip your hand up and say, Pastor Joey, I prayed today. I received Jesus as my Savior. Thank you. Amen. Amen. Anyone else? Amen. Thank you. You know, the Bible says when one person turns to Jesus, God himself throws a party in heaven. And right now the angels are rejoicing. And so can we encourage the one that made that today? Can we join with the angels? Amen. Amen. God, I just thank you in Jesus' name. I thank you, God, for the bravery they had to raise their hand. I pray for others who prayed today, God, to receive you. Lord, I pray that your presence would surround them, God. They'd have an encounter with your love, that the guilt and shame that they've been carrying because of difficulties and, and the, just the stuff we mess with every day, God, that that would be broken off right now, God, and you would fill them with your peace. We ask you, Holy Spirit, to so saturate their life, Lord, that you give them new eyes, a new heart, a new mind, God, a new hope today, Lord, that they would have the joy, that they'd walk out smiling, God, because they came in with a frown that today they'd leave with a smile, God, because of the presence of God upon them right now in Jesus' name. We rejoice. Thank you for letting us be a part of their journey today. And God, I pray for the church now as we go into a time of prayer and response. God, that you would draw every heart and that there'd be no fear, no shame that would get in the way of what you want to do today. In Jesus' name, we pray. Let's all stand. We're just going to go into a time of prayer for a little, for a little while. Every one of us still have a remnant of our grave clothes. And if you've been struggling with something, if you've been, if you've been battling and you would like some encouragement through prayer, our prayer team is down front. You can join or meet anyone on the sides for prayer. I'll be down here in front for a little while. You can come forward. We want to pray with you. Uh, we want to speak life over you and encourage you as uh, Tony leads us in this song.
and then uh, we'll be dismissed. From all of us at Vertical Life Church, we want to say thank you for listening. If this ministry has blessed you in any way, please consider making a tax-deductible donation to www.blchurch.tv forward slash give. Thank you, and God bless.